I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. What I, I want to say is, is that mm-hmm. I actually really appreciate the fact that, um, you know, normally I watch my sports shows in the morning, and I'm very happy that all of them didn't talk about sports today. They all talked about this situation. Yeah. And I, and I actually appreciate that because uh, sometimes um, things get overlooked, and I think because of this virus, we're able to focus on the important issues. Gary, I agree with you. I think that uh, speaking of the virus, I, if someone had told me two weeks ago that the COVID-19 would not be talked about as the first story on the news when hundreds, if not thousands of Americans were dying and we we're going over the 100,000 person mark, if someone had told me that it would not even be on the front pages of the newspapers, I would say you're absolutely crazy. But it's been pushed off the front pages of all the newspapers. It's been pushed far back on all the TV shows. It's been pushed far back on all the cable shows because race in America is a big deal. It's a big deal. And that, and, and I'm happy to see that everyone has taken a moment out to, to, to actually appreciate this and to truly, sincerely, sincerely, 99.4% of the people want to fix this and want to fix it right. I saw on TV that uh, that J. Cole and Dennis Smith Jr., they both led uh, a, a peaceful protest in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I believe it was yesterday. And uh, Jalen Brown, played for the Boston Celtics, drove 15 mm-hmm. hours to lead his protest down in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm glad that people are actually doing that and, um, you know, understand that this is a very serious situation. I'm going to let, let you go now. No, and also, Gary, on that point, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been on every TV right. station today because of an editorial that he wrote in the Los Angeles Times. Uh, he's already been a, a, an award-winning um, editorial writer, uh, op-ed piece writer. And this story that he wrote on this matter is is just great. It's, one of, it's a great story. Uh, and he said that he could be reached on icongram.gov. Dot com. I'm sorry, I-C-O-N-O-G-R-A-M dot com to continue the dialogue. I was totally impressed by what he said. Uh, President Absolutely. Obama has made great comments, Senator Tim Scott. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been something to, to see. Uh, black and white, I think that the former, I should say, the president of the AFL-CIO, Mr. Trumpka, who, who spent a lot of time campaigning against me when I was in office, he <laughs> no hard feelings taken. <laughs> He did a fantastic job on Fox News the other day. Uh, it's, it's been really heartwarming from that perspective. And th- that's where I want to start. Because I said to myself when I woke up today, you know, this is really getting worse. And I said, well, what, does it re- what does it remind me of now? Before I said it, was, it reminded me more of the Rodney King situation in 1992. But no, now I have to go back to 1968 when I was a youngster. And it was after the Martin Luther King uh, assassination. And I say that because lessons can be learned from that situation. 
America changed because of the, the assassination of Dr. King for the better. And, and I lived it and I lived it. All of a sudden, black people became smarter, I guess, because back in the mid 60s, I think there are only about six or seven blacks that were admitted into Yale University. And after King died, all of a sudden, about 100 were admitted. So we got really smart. I don't know what happened, but you know, I guess we woke up one day and said we took a smart pill. And all of a sudden, Yale admitted over 100 students in my class. Very soon thereafter, the King died. And the class before that had maybe 80. The class before that had 60. And the class after me had like 120 or, or so. We got smarter. I don't know what, by magic. No, people started to see that what was happening before was so wrong that they wanted to fix it. And we can take a page from that era and transpose it to today, and we may have our answers. We may have some of our answers for what we're going through today. So let me give you an example. Yale made an, ex there was an experiment to allow black individuals to compete to go to Ivy League schools. My sister Benita could run circles around me as far as her intelligence. She skipped the grades, she did this. She was brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. But she was not allowed to even think about going to a white school. It was not even a thought that she could do that. Even though she went to a white school, I'm sorry, to go to a big white school. She ended up going to Central Connecticut State University for her undergraduate degree. And that was unheard of. But going to a big school. No, she couldn't do that. But eventually she did as things changed. She went on to Penn State to get a doctorate degree. So I think back now, Gary, and I say to myself, you know, that experiment worked out pretty well. When I was at Yale, I could have sat down with five people and four of them would end up in the United States Congress as congressmen and one would end up in the cabinet, all black. I was the first black to get elected to it from an Ivy League school, but you had Mel Reynolds, who was at Yale at the time. He went on to go to Congress. You had Denise Majette, who was at that lunch, could have been at that lunch table with me. We were at Yale the same period. She went on to be a congresswoman from out, from Atlanta. You had, you know, had uh, Miss Jackson Lee, who, went on to be a congressman from Houston. Four individuals during that same exact period of time from the same school all went on to Congress. And then we had a guy by the name of Ben Carson who became obviously a legendary neurosurgeon and is a cabinet member. And also you had a guy by the name of Sherrod Brown, a white guy walking around who ended up being in the United States Senate after serving with me in the house. Not to mention all the blacks who went on to become doctors and lawyers, even a black individual who became a chairman of the board of a Fortune 500 companies, company. Just tremendous progress. And what after that? I was first in a number of categories, Gary, because they opened up doors. I was able to work for a Fortune 500 company in a, in a, in a managerial role. Unheard of in the, in the 60s. Unheard of in the 50s. Now, it was always tough. We had to work hard. You know, it was very challenging. But we had that opportunity. We had a system that was structured that would make sure that companies hired people on all levels, not just people at the board of directors level so they can be seen by the public or people who are at the receptionist level so they can be seen when you walk in. No, we looked at hiring people 
at the managerial level, that mid-level level area where people were paid a substantial salary. And that was done during the 70s. During that period of time, Arthur Fletcher, who was part of the Labor Department, Assistant Secretary of Labor, was given the mandate to write an executive order for Richard Nixon that made it against the law to discriminate against Blacks and Browns in the employment practice. And that included not just hiring, not just promoting, but terminations as well, compensation as well. And it didn't just look at the secretaries and the janitors. They didn't get, have one black guy get showcased and put him on the board. No, we looked at every single level. We looked at supervisors. We looked at managers. We looked at directors who over, over, oversee managers. We looked at vice presidents. And they all had to be representative of the community or representative of America. That was done in the 70s, folks. Right after King was assassinated. Tremendous change. It caused economic growth like you've never seen it before in a black community. Unbelievable change. The answer was right there. They corrected an injustice. Now, are we doing that today? That's the topic for another. That's that's a topic for another day. I'm not gonna go there right now. But jobs are so important. Meaningful jobs are so important because you determine how a person would live by the job that he or she has. Does she work? Does she live in a big house? Does she live in a small house? Does she live in an apartment? Does she eat steaks all the time? Does she have seafood? Does she have hot dogs and hamburgers? It's all determined by your job. Now, due to the stress, your job also can take a physical toll on you. If you have a lot of stress in your job because you're fearful of losing it, or you don't get promoted when you should, well, you're going to have high blood pressure, folks. You're going to have bad eating habits, folks. And thus, you're going to have heart condition. You're going to have a situation where you could potentially have a stroke. And thus, it answers the next question. Because of your job, it determines how long you live. Yale did a study back not, not too long ago in Yale Magazine. And they looked at the people who graduated from Yale during my era who were Black. And you would not believe the large number of Black males, I already call them superstars, were dead before they got to 60. That was a scientific study, folks. They were dead before they got the six in their, before they got into their sixties. Now, a job, a good job, being treated fairly in one's job is the best way to go after a white racist. The best way. And please, people, you know me, don't do any. Don't do any black person any favors. We're not asking for that. We don't want that. And don't give any black person anything they don't deserve. We don't want that. And don't treat any black person in a favorable way over a qualified white person. We don't want that. 
we just want fairness, folks. We want to eat too. We want fairness. And that is what took place after the 68 riots and the death of Martin Luther King. Arthur Fletcher and Richard Nixon stepped forward with the executive order that all presidents, all presidents have maintained, making it against the law to discriminate against blacks and browns in an employment realm. When I say against the law, that means you cannot get any federal dollars. The Adam Clayton Powell Amendment stated back in the day, if you want to discriminate, the federal government is not going to help you discriminate by giving you federal dollars. No, you lose your federal dollars. You do not get federal dollars when you're not treating people fairly. Now, you're saying, well, how did that happen? How could it? No, if no one looks, then I guess the crime didn't happen. But that's what we should do. And what did we do back in my day? Back in the 60s, what, what we did, Gary, when I was in college, we said to people, hey, companies, if you want to do business in South Africa, a country that discriminates against black people, we're not going to invest our money in your company. We're going to pull all of our money out. And we were forcing Yale, Harvard, all the schools to pull their money out of any company that would do business in South Africa. We wanted to end apartheid. They got the message. They got the message and apartheid ended in South Africa because people in America did not want to help racist company, any company that would participate in helping foster racism, we said no. No way. Fix the system, stop discriminating, and also let Mandela out of jail. And we would treat you in a more favorable light. What happened in the 60s, 70s? So these movies, unfortunately, get replayed. We just, some people, that's why yeah, I'm old. So I know about these movies. I lived in these movies. My opinion about this is obviously, you know, what happened to George Floyd is just completely wrong, obviously. You know, the fact that you know, we have it on videotape, you know, I'm happy that we do because there were so many situations that happened in the past where we don't have that. And it's more of a he said or she said type thing. Um, I agree with the, uh, with the protest. I think the protest is probably the best way to handle it. But I don't agree with the riots, obviously. The riots, you know, you don't want to uh, destroy your community. And then we have to spend time trying to build it up. I understand why the riots occur because it's it's raw emotion, and they know that you know people like the National Guard and you know things like that from the government you know that they're noticing it. The problem is it goes away from the main reason why you're protesting uh, to begin with, and it goes right into the riots, and that's the biggest problem with it, in my opinion is that we need to focus on the reason why we're actually doing it, not the riot itself. So that's, that's what ends up occurring. Marching and having a, a peaceful protest is the American way of getting change in many instances. And let's forget about race. Let's forget about 
what happened with George and the fact that black and white individuals may have a uh, problem on certain issues, et cetera. One of the biggest protests that I saw when I was growing up, Gary, was the protests over the Vietnam War. And it was huge. And it was it was unprecedented because in the past, if our president got on TV and the general said certain things, we we just automatically said, you know, they're right. Let's keep going. We're going to do this. And the Vietnam War went from 25,000 troops to 50,000 to 100,000. And all of a sudden, we have like hundreds of thousands of troops over there. And it didn't seem to beginning anywhere and then when the soldiers came back after serving serving their tour in vietnam they started the protest they started to have marches i mean one of the most prominent individuals was a this yale student by the name of john Kerry, who ended up testifying before congress as well and they protested the war and guess what it made a difference we got out of Vietnam. Thousands, tens of thousands of young men, maybe a few women, died in that conflict. We can look back now and say they didn't die in vain. No one dies in vain. They've died doing what our nation asked them to do. But thank God we had the protesters to actually get the leaders of our country to see how you just can't keep doing this and expect a, a different result. And it made a tremendous difference. And when the war stopped, we were getting ready to have drafts and things like that. In fact, I was in probably the last organized federal draft. I had a high number, so I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, it, it was changing people's lives left and right. And we talked about my, my brother and how his life was being changed. We had cousins, et cetera, over that war. Thank God they all came back safely. So protesting is, was good. Peaceful protesting is, is what we want to see. The March on Washington, you know, Gary gives me goosebumps. I mean, just mentioning that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, black and white, brown, were there that, that day in the March on Washington in August, that hot summer day. And it made a huge difference. It made a huge difference in the in the lives of of not just people of color, but people who who saw this from around the world saw saw the United States grappling with this problem back in the, in the in the sixties. And it changed. It changed the way Congress looked at certain civil rights issues, North and South. Congressman from the North, Congressman from the South, et cetera. It changed everything. And that's one of the reasons why those those pieces of legislation were passed. What I find most interesting when I look at racist type situations, Gary, I I go back to uh, when I first experienced it, but when I and our family were, were victims of the Ku Klux Klan when they burned a cross in front of our yard. And then they killed a dog and they put a dead possum in our mailbox, which I ended up pulling out. I, I asked and I got answers then. I said, why, why were they doing this? And the answer was that the white people in the neighborhood felt that by our being able to move into that area, other black families would come and 
potentially white flight would occur, which would mean that the remaining white people in the neighborhood's home values would go down significantly. In other words, a black person in your family would automatically reduce the value of other people's homes because fewer white people would want to move into an area in which there was a black person already there. That was the reason. Documented, people said it basically. We all understood that. Never happened, by the way, but that's what they felt could happen. We knew what happened when Dylan Roof killed nine individuals in a black church in Charleston because of his website. You know, he wanted to start a race war. We knew it. But why did this police officer and the others do what they did? That's a question we don't know. We would like to know why they did it. Why did they do it? We know people aren't born racist. You don't wake up one day and say, oh boy, I'm gonna have a child. That child's gonna, this child's gonna be racist. This child's not gonna be racist. If you have twins and you're a white person, you know, it's not that. You know, racist attitudes are taught. They're essentially taught. When black people are treated unfairly and, and other white children are able to see that, they assume that that's just the way it should be. So when you have a racist situation like we've experienced and seen here, people who can fix this are the, the white people. You, you can fix it in so many different ways. We, the victims of racism, can't fix it. Like to, can't. So racist attitudes are taught and they can be untaught. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University UVA and Hampton University will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. I am dedicating this show to the life and memory of George Floyd who was murdered last week by a police officer. I know that in our past shows, we have spoken a great deal about race. It was never our intention to do so, but we wanted to talk about what was topical. And thus we've talked about the fact that Former Vice President Joe Biden came from nowhere, the dugout essentially, to becoming the presumptive nominee of the Democrat Party because of the black voters in South Carolina and the endorsement of their congressman, Congressman Clyburn. 
literally carrying Joe Biden to third base. Yes, we talked about race as far as the potential of Mr. Biden selecting a black female for vice president. And we've talked about race in terms of the blunder made by Mr. Biden, and he apologized for it. He asked for a mulligan on saying that you ain't black if you don't support him for president over Donald Trump. So we've talked about race, but I never thought that within a very short period of time of our talking about race, you would have had four incidents that have occurred that are very bizarre. In Louisville, a young lady losing her life when police officers entered her apartment and mistakenly was looking for an individual who had already been arrested and in error shot a young lady. I would never thought that we would be talking about an individual who would be out jogging and would be stopped and shot repeatedly by a former police officer. I never thought I would see a lady in the park, Central Park, with her dog, who was asked to put her dog on a leash by a black man and decided to call 911, falsify her voice somewhat to say that a black man was about to harm her. And I would have never thought that I would have seen a man handcuffed, put to the ground, three officers holding him down, and another officer with his knee on his throat and watching him die, all via the use of a cell phone. But all of those things have happened as we've talked about race. And I thought, let's look back. It wasn't like that. From 1999, for about a decade, 17 black men died who were unarmed, died via a police officer. I'm not raising any verdict on the individuals or the cases, but a police officer and 17 occasions over a 10 year period uh, led to the death of an unarmed black man. I say that, but from 2012, for about 40, 40 months going to about 2015, 42 black males who were unarmed were killed by police officers literally more than one every single month from 2012 until 2015. The numbers went down after 2017, 2018, they've gone down. The trajectory was going in the right direction 
until we started talking about race. I, I don't know why that ended up being the case. I am a, It saddens me that it is. And as I stated, we're going to dedicate this show to George Floyd. Our prayers go out to his family. And may, yes, people protest is fine. And may the protest be peaceful, however. Thank you.